0: Huh. All right. We ready to go? Yep. Okay. Ready when you are.
1: <clears throat> oh, you, you guys are just leaving me out to just
2: hang. I feel like we you? need to bring this show in again. There's like no energy to this I whatsoever. know. What is wrong with you two? You keep making references to things I don't know what the
0: hell you're talking about. I think, and that's the joy of the show. <laughs> uh, so... It's like you're speaking in code or you're something. speaking in tongues. Like eep op orc. So, as Bill was saying. Really? We're going to go with that intro? Yeah, we're going with that intro. We're not starting this over Oh, my over God. Again. Please. People are just like, wow, this shit's boring. They're turning it off. <laughs> do you want to do it again? If you really want to start again, we'll it's, start again. Start we again. Need to, we need to
2: punch it up. There's, there's,
0: no, there's no energy to it. All right, everybody. Here we are. It's Back to the Bins.
2: There you go. That's I'm Paul Spaterno,
0: that's Scott Gardner and Bill Robinson. I We're doing JSA Strange Adventures number one, one, I one, one, one. I didn't... Mean... What do you think? Yeah, all right, let's start it again. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm full hello, of energy now, let's go.
1: Bring it in. Hello, hello, and welcome to Back to the... Bi- oh, you... you never mind <laughs>
0: you're an idiot. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Stop it! Oh,
2: what's in the box?
0: To the bins. I got nowhere up to go. I got nowhere up to go. I got nothing else. Hello
1: and welcome to Back to the Bins. I am Dr. Bill, and we have a book. Book that we're doing at my suggestion. And with me, before we get to the book, are my co-hosts, Scott Pump Up the Jams with more energy gardener. Hey, how's it going? (laughs) Paul, your top 100 DJ? Yes, here I am. (laughs) The one that you want. Hey, wow! Back to the bins, hey! We are full of energy tonight. I have secretly changed my co-host's drinks out with Diet Mountain Dew, unbeknownst to them.
0: And uh, we are all pumped, full of energy, and we will And we, crash. we kidnapped Scott, and we've told him the hell with tales of the JSA. We're doing a JSA book. That's right. That's right. we secretly
2: replaced Bill's Mountain Dew with horse piss. Let's see if he notices.
0: Mmm, delish. <laughs> Somebody, I don't, I don't know what they're doing, but the Mountain Dew tastes especially good this year.
2: Tangy. Wow, must be a new flavor. Is this classic formula?
1: oh we are doing a spotlight on the jsa series strange adventures because scott had got me interested in dc books again um i've been doing a lot of uh hunting of jsa and justice society and next on my list is all-star squadron so I came across this and brought, mentioned it to fellows and said, hey, this is pretty good. Uh, I picked up the full run. Have either of you read it? And I don't remember exactly if you both have had it or had seen it. So what's your history with this story, JSA Strange Adventures?
2: I don't remember when I picked it up. I'm, I'm guessing it's probably during the great, uh, I don't know what you would call it, the great glut of uh i don't even know when the hell years those were but uh there was this comic shop that was slowly going out of business in noonan georgia which was not far from where i lived when when we lived in georgia and when i first started going there the guy the guy was already cutting really good deals on on you know back issues and everything but it it got ridiculous because he he just wanted to be done so at one point Uh, I I got him down to like 10 cents a book, and I was just like filling boxes left and right, and that's where I I, like quadrupled the size of my collection, and I just wound up with just a ton of stuff that I'm still discovering, you know, like, wow, I have this book, you know, it's funny, Paul and I were just talking about this before we got started about, uh, you know, there's that issue of uh, of what if that's going for so much right now the the jane foster issue i didn't even realize i had that in my collection and it's probably something i got from that anyway that that this jsa strange adventures yeah i've had the whole series for you know for quite a number of years never cracked the cover on it till now um but i picked it up you know just being a jsa fan intending to get around to it one day so i'm i'm excited just because it's jsa and damn, I miss talking about these guys. I I miss, you know, reading their adventures and everything. So it's nice to discover, you know, something, uh, you know, that I still haven't delved into yet with the JSA because, you know, it doesn't look like we're we're ever going to get new adventures of them. So, you know, it's nice to discover something I haven't read yet.
0: And as I've mentioned on a few occasions... Uh, the JSA is how Scott and I became friends because he was doing Tales of the JSA, and I had no idea who he was. I actually knew of Mike Bailey from uh, Views, and I found that show because of Mike and then heard Scott, and I thought, this guy doesn't sound like a total idiot, and I figured, uh, you know, I made contact, and the next thing I knew, uh, we were buddies, and, you know, the rest is history. Uh, so I'm always, I've always been an easy mark for the JSA and uh, when, uh, you know, when, when Bill mentioned this one I had seen it I was aware of its existence but I had never read it and I was interested in doing so so just for the sake of explaining where we are in it it's a six issue mini and I've read issue one I have not touched issue two as of yet
1: me neither I have not, not gone on to issue two Going to do it as we do them.
0: I find that that's I prefer that because this way, as we're reviewing it, we're not, you know, anticipating. Right. So I I like to not you know not jump ahead when I can.
2: Yeah, I have not read ahead on this myself.
0: And sometimes we can't help it because sometimes we're doing a series that we're very familiar with already. Right. right. In this instance, that's not the case, so I'm you know figure I might as well take advantage of the circumstances.
2: Oh, I forgot
1: to pull up the Indicia. Oh, it's here at the back. I'm trying to remember who uh, who did the cover. Mm-hmm. Riveting, riveting.
2: The cover is by uh, John Watson. That's right. Um, I I looked Cause him up because he didn't do the interiors though. No, no, he did not. Um, right. According to Mike's, because I, I looked him up, because the, the art style looked very familiar to me, but I couldn't quite place it. So I looked him up on Mike's Amazing World, and uh, according to Mike, you know, he really just has a, a, a very small body of, uh, of published work in comics. Um, it's mostly um, Hawkman and JSA covers that he has done um he also i found out did because this cover was really tickling my brain i'm like especially the the alan scott green lantern there uh on the left was was really it seems so familiar to me and i looked it up and he also did the uh cover to there was a, a series of green lantern prose novels a number of years ago and there was hmm. one I, I can't tell you the name of it off the top of my head but uh there was one where um, Alan Scott is, I don't know if he's changing into Green Lantern or whatever, but he's standing in this alley, and I think it's a period piece novel, if I'm not mistaken, but anyway, it's its just this fantastic image that I've always really liked. It's, it's the whole reason I picked the novel up, although I, I still haven't made time to read it yet, and... Uh, just a great image, and, and it's the same artist. I'm trying, I'm looking at my database, trying to find it to give you the name of it, and I'm not seeing it here, but uh, it looks like Watson did a bunch of
1: covers co- for Marvel, too, with, uh, like, the Frontline series for Civil War, for World War Hulk. Oh, okay. Um, spatterings of Uncanny X-Men. He did, oh, some covers for Marvel for a Moby Dick adaptation in 2008. Here it is. All oh, those it's, are. Uh, it's nice
2: Green Lantern fun. Sleepers book two. Um, oh, I forgot. This was written by Christopher J. Priest. Hmm. He's the he's that writer that he used to go by a different name. I forget which name.
0: Yeah. Uh, Worked
2: on uh, on Black Panther and that. Can't remember can't, either. Can't remember his name. But yeah, but yeah, same artist.
1: Well, I like his stuff. In discussing the cover, we've got um, Starman and Green Lantern of JSA fame uh, fighting some type of uh, Cthulhu-type monster. With a, I think that's a little teeny tiny little wildcat wrapped up in its tentacles as well. Yeah. It, um, and they're pretty much in the foreground blasting the beast in the background. Uh, and it's got uh, JSA Strange Adventures. And it's kind of like a 50s, I'd say, like a pulp,
0: pulp style. Oh, definitely. It's it's definitely meant to uh, create Invoke that it. feeling of the pulp novels and magazines of the 1950s. There's no question. And it's definitely a Cthulhu-like monster there. And is it I, – I was, I was thinking about it. Is it like that we are so familiar with that that we automatically pick that out? Or is it that these creators just love that image so much that they – you know, recreated in different forms all the time.
1: Maybe it's just something visceral that, as a society, we just really fear something with a lot of tentacles and teeth. And eyes. <laughs> and eyes.
0: <laughs> right. It's just, it's, it's such a common visage. And, uh, you know, I, I've never read anything uh, by Lovecraft. I don't know if you guys have. Uh, once or
1: twice, not
0: really deep. So, I mean, my familiarity with Cthulhu is because of the use of that look so frequently in different, you know, not adaptations of Lovecraft, but just different stories where they adopt it. Uh, But, uh, you know, I I assume a lot of these creators are actually familiar with the writings.
1: Mm. Well, to get into our story proper, um, it was written by Kevin J. Anderson, and this... um so this is what ties into our previous episode, right, Paul? Because the other episode we did one of the people. See now I can't remember who that was. What was that? When we discussed it was oh, two. Uh,
0: yeah, we had two 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 people who uh, did Star Wars. Uh, it was your Star Lord book. Yeah, Star Lord book had Timothy Zahn.
1: And Kevin mm-hmm. J. Anderson, um, because Timothy Zahn did the Thrawn tr- tr- the Thrawn books and Kevin J Anderson did the uh, the Jedi Academy tr- trilogy and I think the others were So yeah,
2: he's, he's done a number of uh of DC projects too because he did uh, a krypton he, book that was okay it, it right. was it, it was a public good, public enemies wasn't that the um yeah, yeah and he did the public enemies books. which i have and i still haven't read i picked that up mostly out of curiosity and uh, i really like the cover on it um but it's it's a it's a story set in the 50s of Batman and Superman, I'm not sure if it's supposed to be their first meeting or what, and I think they're working for Hoover or something like that, or Huac or so, I don't know, something like that. It, it just it sounded interesting. I picked it up and it sits and collects dust on a <laughs> shelf. I still haven't <laughs> read it yet.
1: All right, well, a little background about the book. So we've got Kevin J. Anderson is the writer. The penciler is Barry Kitson. Inker is Gary Erskine. Uh, Letterer is Rob Lay, Lee. And color says Brian Miller. Um, the story title is "It Was a Dark and Stormy Night." Now I'm just going to do a quick down and dirty synopsis. Wait, come back. Wait, no, don't turn it off. <laughs> I'll be brief. I swear. I'm going to. Uh-huh. I'm going to be brief. Oh, you stop. I will. I will dry. I know where you live still, so it'll only take me two hours plus to get there. So you have know, plenty of time to be ready for me. I'll probably fall asleep on the way over. So, it was a dark and stormy night. So, we cut in between Johnny Thunder writing, uh, doing an account of a battle. We'll go through this in a little more detail. I'm not going to dive into this. Basically, JSA is fighting this Cthulhu creature that smashes out through a, demolishes a hotel completely. And uh, through different um, parts of the battle, JSA is getting their butt handed to them until they finally, um... Johnny Thunder calls the Thunderbolt and basically kazaps the monster. And... Finish, and with that, he finishes the story. Puts these stories... Uh, he writes them... Yeah. Puts them in the envelopes, so He sends them off to Amazing Stories on 1 Park Avenue, New York, New York. And we cut to the offices of Amazing Stories. And we'll go into a little bit more detail here to where the editor and a writer... <coughs> are are listening to a dog bark, and then they decide (laughs) that they need to have bigger, snazzier stories, because there's stories in the newspaper that basically are are better than what they're putting out, with um, Starman and Green Lantern are stopping a Nazi U-boat at the docks, so uh, he wants his head writer, which we'll discuss in later, because there's a little interesting tie-in there, to basically take uh, Johnny Thunder under his wing and get him to come up with some good superhero stories for the magazine, which is kind of lagging. Uh, we cut back to the JSA. They're having a meeting. Um, the Adam and... Right? That's Adam, I believe. Yeah, that's Adam and Wildcat are basically arm wrestling while everybody else dis- is discussing important things like Hitler's Spear Destiny and this and that. And these guys are just goofing off and The Flash is getting everybody coffee. Um, they decide to make Johnny Thunder their official historian but it's almost kind of like they're just yeah 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 go away kid you bother me Uh, later he gets a letter from um the uh, uh amazing stories office saying we want you to come write for us and then we cut to where this will probably be the ongoing villain for the series um a mysterious Two mysterious Nazi-clad uh, SS figures, who are kind of disfigured but having all this like steampunk or robot-like gear on them, uh, are hooking up to the local radio station's antenna on top of one of the buildings. kazaps and probably kills uh, one of the um, the maintenance workers there as well, and uh, they report to their 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 leader, Lord Dynamo who then proceeds to just play classical music for the folks. This, in turn, gets Starman and Green Lantern to go up and find out just what the heck is going on. Uh, battle ensues. Fight, fight, fight. Zap, zap, zap. And this big, giant, super dirigible with points on it, which, in my opinion, is probably not a smart design, with a thing that's basically a big, giant balloon, um, comes upon them, gives a big old zack at a foom, and... And kind of takes out our two heroes, drains all their energy, and uh, that's basically how the book ends. That's a very, very brief discussion, but we're going to go through it a little bit more in detail, so I don't want to bury everybody. Not bad, right? Right, right, right? Mm? Nothing? Not bad. Not bad, rabbit.
0: (laughs) High praise when I get a not bad rabbit. (laughs) And now I'm picturing you as Daffy Duck singing the, the thing to wake, keep Elmer awake. Which one? Go to sleep? No, not? no. just he's, he's being annoying.
1: Oh, what? The cat, you mean? Yeah. Oh, okay. Cha-cha-cha! Well, yeah, that's,
0: that's what
2: Cha-cha-cha! <laughs> <laughs> Stay well, tuned
0: did for later episodes for that. Yeah. <laughs> All right,
1: so we get uh, first opening splash. We've got the a giant eyeball <laughs> coming out of the roof. Tentacles coming through windows. Hotel Necro, which I'm sure is, uh, you know, not too on the nose. Um, basically, this thing is smashing through the building while Dr. Fate's blasting it. Starman's blasting it. Hawkman, Hawkgirl, Green Lantern, they're all flying all over the place. The salmon's there. The Atom's there. And you get these little tiny inset pictures of uh, Johnny Thunder writing, you know, basically giving us a narrative. And they got a really cool giant uh, specter, um, which you'd think... Now, the specter's magic, right? Mm-hmm. you you think the specter should have been able to do this, because the Thunderbolt's magic, too. But now, I guess, are, are we seeing is this, you know, are is is this actually being distorted a little through
0: Johnny Thunder's eyes? I don't really know if we get that or not. Do you That's that's what I took it as. I took th- I took it mm. as this is his I don't know even know if it's his interpretation of what happened or if it's what he chooses to say about what happened. Mm. Yeah. I, to me it's one or the other. And I don't know if he's like intentionally exaggerating things or if he just perceived it this way. But I definitely think it's weird that we're seeing it through his eyes, one way or the other.
1: Yeah, because the Spectre's saying he's going to, you know, use... The the arcane forces should be able to encapsulate the demon and drive the thing back into the rune stone. And that doesn't seem to work. And at the end of this page, uh, Johnny Thunder's going to shove a pencil up his nose.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That little... If he pushes it hard enough, he might hit his brain.
1: That would be one of those great pictures that you just post with no caption and just
2: see what people come up with. Brain. (laughs) That would make make a really good avatar on (laughs) Skype, actually. Maybe I should change my avatar to that.
1: (laughs) So, Morgoth, the the demon, is what they're fighting, uh, basically blows the Blows the hotel apart. And they are not having a good time about it. Everybody is wrapped up, literally, and figuratively. And uh, as we're doing this, Johnny Thunder keeps, you know, writing stuff down, throwing it away, writing stuff down, throwing it away. Um, Then he's getting a thesaurus (laughs) while Wildcat is uh, punching it, of course, because that's what he does. Oh yeah, he was trying to spell sorcerers, and he's going S O R S,
0: S O U R C. So well, that's like if one of us was writing it. Oh yeah, yeah.
2: He's mystical, he's magical.
1: And he's getting a bit of like uh, like a Stanley and tor tormentous treachery. So, uh oh, what's oh Doctor Occult now? Doctor Occult. It's odd that he's
2: here, right, Scott? Yeah, that one. Uh, that one struck me as odd because my my very first thing when I saw him, of course, you know, I, I geeked out because he's one of my favorites. I really like Doctor Occult. But my second thing was, wait, when did he become a member? And I threw it out to, I don't know, there's a couple of different JSA-related groups that I'm a part of on Facebook. I forget which one it was I threw it out to, but I was like, you know, I posted this page. I'm like, when did this happen? And there was a lot of discussion about it, but there was no solid answers. And so this may be a retcon, but the, the general consensus seemed to be that maybe Anderson, well... I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he was just having fun and not terribly concerned about the continuity as opposed to some of the very uh, you know, less than flattering comments about him was that he just didn't know his stuff when it comes to the team. I don't know. I'll give the guy a break and, uh, and give him the benefit of the doubt that maybe he was just having fun. But there's a number of characters in this first issue that are presented here as if they are JSAers, and uh, Is there actually and, All-Star Squadron? Yeah, I, I think so, I think there, there's often confusion between the two, and I know you know, for me personally, I'll be honest I don't care all that much because, Well, this is the post-crisis you know, JSA God as well. I'm sorry?
1: This is the post-crisis JSA as well
2: it is now. This is a period piece. We don't know exactly what year it is, but this is uh, you know taking place during the war, as we will find out as the story progresses. So this is sometime during the you know the war years. Um, but you know, I'll be honest with you, I, I'm not terribly bothered by it because you know Roy Thomas, you know God bless him, I, I love the guy, you know great writer, I, you know, and and he got me into Um, you know the all-star squadron and all that but it used to really i'll be frank it used to kind of annoy me a little bit when he would have really clunky dialogue in a lot of issues of all-star squadron where he would go out of his way to have somebody say something to the effect of Well, you know, I'm not uh, I'm not a full time Justice Society member, you know. At this, you know, just something weird, and and it's because he was such a continuity wonk for this stuff that, you know, he he felt the need to constantly point that out, like somebody was an honorary member or somebody was, you know, they were just hanging out, but they weren't part of it. And it's like, ultimately, does it really matter all that much? So I think that over the years, you know, there's there's been sort of a You know, sort of a blending of if they were in the All Star Squadron, then they were automatically Justice Society members. That's not really true, but again, I don't really care one way or the other. You know, I'm just happy to see these guys. So, you know, for the sake of continuity, yeah, it doesn't really fit, but, you know, like I uh, said, I I can go along with it. Dr. Occult was active at this time frame, right? Oh, absolutely.
1: Well, there's no reason he couldn't have helped on a one-off with this occult creature.
2: Absolutely, because during, um, I forget exactly which issue, I want to say it might be like issue 50 or something like that of All-Star Squadron, which is right during the war, and incidentally right when the Crisis on Infinite Earths happens, um, occult showed up. And that's where my interest in this character first uh, manifested itself, because I had no idea who the hell he was. And as a matter of fact, the cover to that issue... Let me see if I can look it up real quick. The cover says something to the effect, after 50 years, Dr. Accol. And so... I would expect that, you know, a lot of people, you know, especially kids, you know, like I was discovering this, a lot of kids would have no idea who this character was. Um, and I don't know if it's really true, but, uh, you know, according to that cover, I'm trying to find where it is here, it, it makes it sound like we hadn't seen Dr. um in 50 years, essentially, I'm not sure if that's if that's really true or not, but uh, you know, it had been a long time since we had seen that character. Um, he is, you know, for people that aren't familiar with him, I mean, he is uh, the original superhero. He predates Superman. He is uh, DC's first. Uh, you know, when he started out, he looked like he looks in this issue. For a brief time, he did wear a superhero-y costume, um, and so he was the first uh, costumed you know, superhero for all intents and purposes. Damn, I am not finding that. I could have sworn it was issue 50, but I'm not seeing it here. But yeah, I, I know it was somewhere in this, somewhere during that era that uh, that he popped up again. Oh, wait, here it is. It's issue 49. It's right on the cover. It says, extra, for the first time in nearly 50 years, Dr. Occult. Yeah, and that's what kind of lit the fire for, for me with this guy. I just wanted to know more about him. So it's really funny is, you know, when I was a kid, I kept a little notebook, and I would write down stuff like that, you know. Uh, I'd look into characters or what. And I remember writing down in that notebook, new fun number six, not realizing you know that that comic is incredibly rare incredibly expensive and everything and that there's not a snowball's chance in hell that i would ever own that book and 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 then i actually did own it for a time (laughs) through just sheer fate and dumb luck i actually did own it for a time which was really cool but yeah, for for those reasons, I've I've always had a soft spot for this character. He's he's kind of a he's kind of like DC's Doctor Strange in a lot of ways. He's he's very you know mystic and aloof and I don't know if he was raised by them or he went off to be taught by them or what, but he was raised by like this secret sect or something like that. There's there's a whole history to him, but he's he's very Doctor Strange like in a lot of ways. That's probably more than you ever wanted to know about Dr. Occult. There you go. This is our
1: sideshow within the show on Dr. Occult.
0: (laughs) No, I I, honestly, I'm not very familiar with the character of Dr. Occult, so I'm actually kind of glad to hear you kind of give a a little history lesson on him. So for what it's worth, I'm, I'm happy. I don't know if anybody listening is. (laughs) <laughs> Something uh, I wanted
2: to point out here, um, you know, of course, you know, flipping back, damn, these pages aren't numbered. that drives me crazy. Flipping back to the page where the monster is attacking everybody and you've got Mr. Terrific at the bottom of the page, which it's really nice to see him again, too. I, I like the original Mr. Terrific. And he looks cooler here than he normally would. They, they did kind of a Batman-y thing with, uh, with his, uh, whatever you call that, cowl. Mm -hmm. That looks a lot better than I remember him looking before. But, you know, you talk about characters that shouldn't necessarily be in this story. You've got Star-Spangled Kid right there at the top of that page. And uh, I just love that because I love that character. And I don't think continuity-wise he fits here, but I'm going to totally forgive it because I love that character. But I wanted to point out um, Hippolyta, or excuse me, Wonder Woman right there. This, this is at a time, as you said, this is post-crisis now. So in the crisis on Infinite Earths, Wonder Woman was wiped from continuity, and she basically, her story started over again post-crisis, uh, you know, with the George Perez run and all that. She was reintroduced in Legends and all that. So in order to replace her continuity-wise in the 40s with the Justice Society, Um, It was John Byrne who came up with a really cool idea of uh, Queen Hippolyta, Wonder Woman's mother, um, time traveling back to the 40s. And she was the Wonder Woman of the JSA era of of the 40s, which I always thought was really cool. I don't don't know how other people felt about that, but I always thought it was really cool. I thought that was a really clever idea. And What's that? I think I've got some of those
1: wonder woman burn issues but was it stated that she did that in order to maintain continuity or it just happened no out there? Or he just he no, just did I, that shore up the continuity for fans
2: yeah he he, okay. he did it to fill in the holes of continuity i can't remember story-wise why she went back to the 40s i i don't remember i know it involved jay garrick the flash you know the original flash Mm-hmm. um it, it was kind of a what do you call that a a predestination paradox where okay. he kinda, you kind of you know what I'm talking about
1: yeah
2: you know like a you know it, it happened because it was fated to happen you know because it yeah, already it was
1: always going to happened to happen. Yeah.
2: yeah and uh and a really good story I always like that I forget exactly what issues those are i I no longer have uh, uh any
0: post-crisis uh Wonder Woman I sold them all. But, I think uh, we did one of the issues where, with, with the, it had the Jay Garrick flash in it. I remember that, but I yeah, don't remember exactly have. what went on. Yeah, we may have, but yeah, it
2: was it was good stuff. I like that story a lot.
1: All right, well, to continue with the story, um, after Johnny Thunders, after the uh, the genie, I am the genie of the lamp, destroys, um. Destroys the creature, giving it an eyeful.
0: (laughs) Having re-redisposed of the monster.
1: Yeah. We get a nice final splash of, uh, well, like three-quarter splash of uh, all our combatants. And you've got Dr. Occult there in the middle. And everybody that took part in the fight. And then we've got, uh, like, the bottom of the page. My masterpiece! He's got his nice little story written. That's when he sends it off. We see all the... the, um, Rejection letters from Amazing Stories, Fantastic Tales. Um, So he puts this out in the mail, and we cut to the offices of Amazing Stories, and and um, this actually is uh, historically correct
2: characters, correct, Scott? Um, I mean they're they're real people. So people. The the first panel of the page where we flip to the offices of Amazing Stories, we see the the door of the editor's office. It says Amazing Stories, Hugo Gernsback, editor. Now, Hugo Gernsback was a real person. Um, He's often called the father of science fiction. There have been a lot of, like, nods and tributes to him over the years in in different science fiction things. Um, The two that always come to my mind are in the All-Star Squadron, the series All-Star Squadron. Uh, you'll remember that the All-Stars eventually moved into the Perisphere and Trilon from the 1939-40 New York World's Fair. That became their headquarters. And when they first went into the Perisphere, they were attacked by a robot named Electro. Now, Electro was real. He, he was actually part of the, the fair, the New York World's Fair in 1939. And they they fight him they defeat him and then somebody i want to say it's steel but i can't remember but somebody reprograms him and he becomes their robot butler and when they reprogram him and now he's on their side and everything they name him gurnsback and that is a nod to this guy hugo gurnsback now that's that's Roy Thomas is doing, I don't know, you know, like in story, I don't know why they would name him Grunsback because the guy I don't think he had a legend yet, but he became a legendary person. So he's uh, along
1: the lines of like a Forrest J. Ackerman?
2: Yes. For, yeah. Yeah. And I could be wrong, but he gave he I know he he's influential or, or responsible for a lot of people that became Famous in science fiction, I'm blanking on specific names. It's probably like Asimov and, and those guys, but I, I you know I don't know the exact names off the top of my head. Um, and also in the movie Tomorrowland, which I'm a huge fan of. Um, if you've seen the film, it's you know a Disney film from just a few years ago. Um, when Casey goes to the comic book store to try to find out the story behind the pin. Um, the guy that comes out, the proprietor of the comic book store, uh, the guy with the dreadlocks, he gives his name as Hugo Gernsback. Now, he's, spoiler, he's actually, uh, a robot, and again, he's got that name as a nod to, to this guy who was a real guy. The guy he's talking to and giving the assignment, um, he was a real person, too, that's, uh, Jack Williamson, um, I did some reading up on this guy, and now I've forgotten everything that I read on him because it, it was a while ago that I read this. But um, the story he references here, because uh, Gernsback says something metal about, uh, you were always one of my most uh, popular writers. You started writing for Amazing Stories back in, then he said, when, when, when was it? And uh, Williamson says, 1928, sir, my story of the Metal Man. That was actually a real story, and, and he was a famous uh, science fiction uh, writer and a you know a, a kind of a legend in early science fiction as well. So you know the the basis of of this scene and this setup is all based in reality to a certain a point. And I, I really liked this part. I thought it was really interesting where you've got Grunsback holding up a copy of the Daily News. And it's showing a headline story of uh, Starman and Green Lantern stopping a Nazi U boat, and and you can see them using their powers to actually raise the U boat up out of the water. And you've got uh, Grunsback here saying, you know, how do we expect, basically, how do we expect to compete writing science fiction stories when people can look out their window and and they're seeing science fiction like this happening for real? And I, I thought that's a really cool idea because. While I'm not the biggest fan of, of say, Watchmen, one idea from that story that I always did kind of like is that in a in a world where superheroes are real, what would fiction, you know, what forms would fiction have to take in that world to entertain people? Mm-hmm. You know, so in in the Watchmen world, you know, pirate comic books are a big thing. And so I like this idea that, you know, basically he's, he's stating the same problem. If superheroes are real, what, what are we going to write about in amazing stories? And I like that idea. So I'm very curious to see where this goes. I think that's kind of a cool setup.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, also in this scene where they're talking in the office, there's a photo or like a p- picture on the back wall. It looks like a Nihilus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I think there was, uh, now, was that a, um, was that an actual cover? Because it's, it's, it's seen at like three different places. Like there's a large one behind him. Then in the next panel, like the bottom half of it, it's, it still shows, it's the same picture. Right. It's just a different snippets. And then and at the bottom, when Gernsback's holding up a copy of super stories, Again, that picture, I'm wondering if that's going to come back or if we'll see something like that. It's just that it's so prominently displayed
2: numerous times. Like, yeah, I feel like it's a reference to something that I'm just not getting. It's, it's probably supposed to be uh, a cover. An you know, homage
1: or a cover. Yeah, to a cover
2: to one of the issues or something. But
0: or I look foreshadowing.
2: The, yeah, that could be too. <laughs> mm yeah, I looked through a cover gallery of amazing stories covers and I, you know, they're they're incredible. They're beautiful covers. I didn't see this as as one of them, but that's not to say that that's, you know, that, that's not the case.
1: So Gernsback tells Jack, "Hey, you need to go take this kid under your wing. We need to get some in, in some good info for our stories and uh, that's kind of where this portion ends with them and then we're back to um, the JSA, like we said earlier, they're discussing why they can't go to Europe because Hitler has the Spear of Destiny because if they go over there, they'll be taken over. Um, And, I mean, it's like a nice little interlude, you know, where we see the JSA on some downtime. Of course, they're all wearing their costumes fully. (laughs) Oh, you know what? Is that... uh, Hmm. That's odd. I just noticed... Where the bottom of that page, when the flash is talking to Johnny Thunder, who is that sitting next to Johnny Thunder? Is that Dr. cult?
2: I'm assuming that's Dr. cult. Yeah, I puzzled over that as well because it 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 almost looks like somebody wearing like a bomber jacket or something and or,
1: or or a raincoat, possibly. yeah.
2: But I, because, I think it is supposed to be a cult. But yeah, we don't we don't circle the table enough to see. But just based on that image a few pages back of everybody standing around, he that's the only person that fits that description that we've yet, seen so far, unless it's somebody that you know, isn't identified and and we don't see again, but I don't think that's the case. Why he has his hat off, I don't know, other than maybe he takes his hat off when he's indoors or something, I I don't know. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, because in a previous shot we can't see who's next to um, Johnny Thunder because we're looking at from the back side of the table and we've got we see the back of our man. Stupid Um, our man. Get out of the way! Mm -hmm. Idiot. So yeah, it, it's a nice little interlude, uh, and that's where they say, "Hey, we, you know, if you want to write, we'll make you the make you the the uh, the historian for the JSA." And during through this whole thing, like we said earlier, Adam and Wildcat have just been wrestling, arm wrestling, not wrestling like you know in the floor. <laughs> He's got him in a chokehold, and uh, then we cut to Johnny Thunder getting a acceptance letter from. Uh, amazing, amazing stories, and he rushes out um, to go meet him. And then we cut to um, Alan Scott working at the uh, for A- at the radio station for Apex Broadcasting, and uh, some big lightning storm coming in, one that they've never seen. And that's when we get the uh, our two Nazi guys falling out of this. Just you know, it's it, it's weird because it's like they fall out of a dark cloud, and they're attached to... They've got, like, a jet pack thing on, but they're still attached to these large cables, like, to these... to uh, gauntlets they have on their arms. And um, they... They swoop down to the top of the building and attach the cables to the broadcast antenna, and they're interrupted by Apex Security and a handyman, and, well... The handyman, good old sorry Charlie, uh, is uh, and the guard get kazapped. Kazapped? Like, this was uh, what was the names guy? The guy's name? I can't remember it. Who the guard? No, no, no. The uh, the Illinois Nazis. Oh, did they have names? Yeah, one of them did because the one guy is a little, a little bit too uh, Steiner. The guy that kind of relishes zapping, you know, he's got like scars on his face, like he's been burned by the electricity maybe in the past or something. But he like relishes a little bit too much into zapping these 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 guys. And uh, with all the commotion and the takeover of the airwaves by one Lord Dynamo, of course, it makes me think of uh, the Running Man. <laughs> He's like classical music too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. As, you know, I'm Lord Dynamo and I bring you these gifts. The fruits of my genius belong to humanity. I have come to deliver my brilliant creations to all mankind. Eventually you will learn to thank me. And Alan Scott hears this and says, All right. Time to clock out as Alan Scott and start my shift as Green Lantern. And goes up to the roof or does, does his whole. Uh, and I shall shed my light over dark evil. It's just not as good as the other.
2: No, no, no. it's not. Lame, lame. So he goes up.
1: The there's bite. a ref.
2: There's a reference there to uh, to Tokyo Rose too, which I thought was interesting. Oh, well, there's also a kid saying that he wants to listen to the shadow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of. There's a lot of. Topical references for the for the period in there, which I thought was kind of cool. Donuts used to come in a fishbowl. Mmm, delicious. <laughs> it's it's sitting on top of the counter. You know, you take the lid off and reach in and take out a donut. Just yeah. take the whole bowl. <laughs> just put milk in it and just. It's not eat. like there's water or anything in it. They're just sitting
1: in there. Oh man, just put milk in it and cereal. And just eat there the whole fish
0: bowl. <laughs> just
1: pour it in your mouth. No. No wonder I'm diabetic. <laughs> Even my thoughts are making my sugar go up. So uh, the Green Lantern appears to uh, our ne'er-do-wells. That's kind of a nice shot because he's shining the Green Lantern light from his ring. He says, this is a public radio station, boys. It's time we return to our regularly scheduled program. Vase's loss. los? Kill him. <laughs> Kill him. Not big on making a good first impression, are you? Well, then allow me to make mine, and he starts kicking some butt.
2: And along, I kind of see what you're talking about. It looks like it almost looks like lens flare. That's actually pretty cool. Yeah, you're right. That is a cool shot. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's interesting in comics, maybe not in every J.J. Uh,
1: Abrams movie. Oh, I'm sorry. Where did that come from? <laughs> I don't know what happened there. So I mean, well, because it's interesting because you, you know, he's shining it on them. Or it's, you know, it's night. It would be bright. Uh, it's a nice effect. So I don't know where Starman comes in. Was he? uh... He just cause I don't remember him being mentioned or shown earlier. Did I miss something? Or he just comes upon the scene. He's not the guy driving in the car. Yeah. No, because there's a the guy driving a car going. Jump a G Halsafat. What is this highbrow stuff? So yeah, but anyway. Uh,
0: yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, is that's. If that's not him, why are we even seeing him? Yeah, I don't see how he was clued in
1: as the something's going on. I mean, unless all the light... Uh, I, um, hold on. Let me think. Let me go back here to when you they think. were...
0: Uh, My head hurts.
1: <laughs> well, you know what? I bet you this would tie in with the fact that they probably go on like a nightly thing. Uh, because they were the like ones who yeah, so caught the Nazis. I'm
2: assuming he's on Yeah,
1: he's Yeah, on because patrol. they caught the Nazis with the U-boat. So maybe this is like their regular plan, their regular deal. So he just happened to be coming around to actually go on a patrol with them and stumbled upon him fighting these Nazi guys. That's what city is
2: this, though? Does it uh, say? I don't see where it says, because... Because the lantern, it's, it's New York. It's, it's well, wouldn't it be? Uh, because it shouldn't be though. Why? Because the lantern. All right. So he's working at the radio station here. Says so communications expert and radio engineer for Apex Broadcasting. Um, I don't remember the name of the company, so it may or may not be Apex. But Green Lantern. I don't know if he. I remember him eventually. He owns uh, a, a, a broadcasting station in Gotham City, so I I always assumed that Gotham was his was his
0: uh, stomping grounds. I could be wrong about that. Well, did the JSA well, have a central York, location that they were generally in? Because I would think different members are from different areas, but they might have a uh, right. You know, a well, the
1: Amazing the amazing Stories offices... They have the
0: Browns? What's that?
1: The Amazing Story offices are in Brooklyn. So, right. And he's holding up a Daily News newspaper. Now, I would think that it would be a New York newspaper, although I guess it could be a national story on that, and they could have been in another city, but I'm thinking they would have been in the docks at New York. Because it would make more sense right. for a Nazi U-boat to be in New York than it would be to be in Gotham, which is inland, right? Although it does have, Gotham does have docks, but isn't it more like in the Midwest? No, it's not. It is on the East Coast, isn't it?
0: I, f- I forget yeah, my, DC,
1: uh, my the, DC... The, the logic geography. I always
0: heard was that Metropolis was New York and that Gotham was in New Jersey. Ah, mm. oh, yeah. I mean, that's people well, also, surmising it. I don't think there's anything, you know, official that says that.
2: Right. Well, also, what what year is this series again? I'm, I'm trying to remember. The it's, actual series
0: it, itself or the...
2: Two, when, yeah. 2004? Yeah. Yeah, so by this time, it was well established that Starman was based in Opal City. So, yeah, it is a little bit weird that he just kind of pops in. I I guess maybe if he had to explain it is that I think the JSA did have a a headquarters in New York. I I think the JSA, now whether it was there at this time or not, I'm not sure, but the JSA Brownstone, um, I think, is in New York. So maybe they're kind of operating centrally out of New York. But it just seems weird that they're all just you know well I, I say they're all but I mean it's just these two but that they're both kind of hanging around New York when they both have you know their own cities but I don't know I could be wrong about Green Lantern during this time period maybe he hadn't moved to Gotham yet or whatever I, I thought he had but well it could be that although there is an editor for the book but
1: maybe they're just playing a little fast and loose and this is more like a standalone
2: but, yeah deal well I mean. My no prize for, for Starman showing up is, you know, it, you know just based on that uh, newspaper headline, maybe they're buddies, you know. Mm-hmm. And he maybe he was just coming by to, you know, shoot the breeze with him and happens to just stumble, you know, in at the right time when he could use a hand. Oh, we
1: haven't had any shorter threats over here in America. That Nazi U-boat in New York Harbor proves that this is back when they're talking in the when they're at their meeting. And then uh, it right. the says, Starman and I took care of that one without too much trouble. Kind of implying that they, like, maybe they do their own patrols. And it was right. in New York. So, right. maybe they are being based in New York right now. That would go with the Amazing Stories letters. Um, so, I guess we just have to assume this is New York.
0: And if we go with right. the thought that Gotham is in New Jersey, they're not that far away, especially for somebody, you know, with superpowers to travel. Right. So, I mean, it it, it kind of falls into place. Now, and, we're, and we're probably being too picky in any way. Yeah, yeah, we're probably going a little too deep. Now, for my
1: D.C. geography, isn't uh, Central City, Chicago, where the Flash is? Isn't that kinda I of think probably? that was
0: I think that was also the conventional yeah, logic Chicago or the Midwest, yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. Well there's really only, only one major, major city in the Midwest, at least
0: I mean I can't think of any other one. Everybody other else who major. lives in the Midwest who's listening to this is cursing at you right now. Please send your hate mail. Yeah. What about us <laughs> and
1: what about Green Bay? What about Wisconsin? What about Saint the Lewis? Great Hand of the The Great Hand of the North? Detroit and Michigan's gonna swap you down.
2: Okay, whatever.
1: Sorry, send so him what? to Detroit. No God, no. Oh. And that's from the Kentucky Fried movie. If anybody wants to go watch that, yeah. well, I Kentucky love that movie. movie. Haven't seen that in years. I just watched it with Ben the other night. I forgot there was uh, some um, adult items in there. Oh, it was, hell uh, yeah, there like is. Like really t- high school, school girls, girls, in girls in trouble? In trouble? Yeah. Yes, that was the <laughs> one, and I was like, whoops. I'm like, hey, seventeen. Yeah, you know. I know I'm a terrible, terrible yeah,
0: parent. Luckily, I didn't there's watch it with the wife. Hey, now. you know what? I'm, I'm impressed you remember how old he is. Yeah, that's right. He'll be eight. Oh, he'll be 18 in December.
2: Ugh, God. The Holy. popcorn you're eating has been pissed in. Film at 11. <laughs> I'm not wearing. I'm not wearing any pants.
1: Film at 11. <laughs> anyway, why, moving on. That's why the joy of sex comes with. Big Jim Slade. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, whoa. That's hilarious. I can watch that. If you're having a hard time performing, the the joy of sex comes with Big Jim Slade, former linebacker for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, something something and, and a right. sexual a sexual appetite that'll knock your socks off.
2: <laughs> a sexual tyrant. Sexual th-
0: Tyrannosaurus. <laughs> are we are we are we mixing movies now? No, that's the same movie. Was it? I, I thought uh, Jesse the Body Ventura was the sexual Tyrannosaurus in uh, well, he's Predator a
1: sexual Tyrannosaurus, yeah, but
0: is, I swear that they say
1: that in 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 that movie.
0: I would say it's been at least twenty <laughs> years since I've seen Kentucky Fried movies, so I will accept your uh your your memory of it better than my own. Plastics in you.
1: Everything start what would her life be without plastics? Your husband's pacemaker. Ah poof. That bra. <laughs> that bra bork. Your artificial leg.
2: <laughs> ah <laughs> Oh yeah. What a good movie. There you go. There's a uh, there's an is it Jaws right
0: there. Kentucky Fried movie. There's oh. an abbreviated Is It Jaws in the middle of a back to the bins episode. I'm gonna say it's a Jaws <laughs> too. Guys, um Yeah, there's some slow parts.
1: Yeah, it's a Jaws too. But it, but it does have it, it does have re- rewatchability. Not over and over again. You you got to have some breaks to forget some things. And it's pretty uh racy for nowadays. It would not fly nowadays, I would say. Oh, no watch. hell no. Now there's way yeah. too many things that are like a like the third rail of uh of uh uh, so, uh social issues will We'll, 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 that's what we'll say. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Is that the one that's got the parody of uh, of Enter Bruce the dragon. Lee? Yeah,
0: yeah, that's the one. Yeah. That's the one. That's at. the most extended thing in it, if I remember right.
2: That Dr. drags like hell from no, me. No, right there. there's there's some good parts in
1: there with Doctor Klan. Uh,
0: we are uh, yeah, na- We are
1: we are building a fighting force of formidable. uh and this is something of our ancestors, and then that's when the guy comes and uh, the CIA agent, and he's like, you know, you can torture me, I'll never tell you anything. And the the guy looks at him, and goes, take
2: him to Detroit. And
1: he's like, no, God. There's no. only
2: there's only one part in that entire sequence. No, I take it back. There's only two parts in that entire sequence that I like, if I'm remembering the right the right, if I'm not confusing my movies. Because isn't there a part where there's an alarm going off and nah, they eventually nah, show the guy nah, and he's going, meh, nah, meh. Nah, 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 nah. isn't that a, this yeah. yeah, he's got a flashing light that, on his head. And then there's the part where the guy performs the the just totally unreal move and you just see the close up of the the Bruce Bruce Lee standing guy and he just go he just mouths, "What the fuck?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, when he keeps knocking the
1: guys down and this guy gets back up and he's like, "What the?"
0: And I just, I remember the guy doing, like, a an actually uh, an amusing Bruce Lee voice imitation.
1: Yeah, but he sounds a little bit like Elmer Fudd. Yeah, Elmer exactly. Fudd. Yeah. Just when, when the dog, well, first he fights a guy early on, and he says to the guy, is this a joke? Is this some type of shawade? Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then later when he's infiltrating the base, uh, like a German shepherd c- c- comes up, and he, he's like, rawr, rawr, rawr. And the guy looks at the dog and he bops him on the head. He goes, is this some type of joke? Wait. The dog's looking at him like, what? (laughs) Oh, all right. Last one for that is when they're on the island and there's the guys that are in the cages like, what are these men in for? These are men who have forgotten who they are. Who are these men? These are men that are drunk. (laughs) And And then like this one guy that's in there says... But I know who I am, and I'm not drunk. And they pull him out, and they say, "Get this man a drink."
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh yeah. There's some good stuff in that.
2: Anyway, back to that. I don't. Well,
1: big. Um, I don't know how we got in that because <laughs> big, <laughs> big Jim <laughs> Slade. That I believe that was Shadow Stevens that did that voiceover too. Of the uh, of the Yeah. Now, when we get off here, I'm gonna have to go watch Big Jim Slade. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna burst into that for no reason tomorrow at work. People are gonna I wonder go- if
2: that movie's on like Netflix or. Anything. It is on. I, I, was
1: watching it. It's either on Amazon Prime or Hulu. I think it's Amazon. Uh,
2: Prime. Because that's I, what I was
1: watching it with Ben. I was like, oh my god, the Kentucky Fried movie. We gotta watch this, Ben. Whoops. Christian girls, that. Christian schoolgirls in trouble. I forgot about this one, <laughs> Ben. Uh, whoops. <laughs> Uh-oh. So, anyway, back to Nazis. Illinois Nazis. Maybe that's what they that came <laughs> I don't know. But they're not Illinois Nazis. They're New York Nazis. So, uh, oh, yeah, how did we get on this? Oh, Starman. So Starman comes. Uh, there's a drawn-out fight. Uh, the two guys get away. But even though they get away, in comes um, the big old blimp. Oh, whoa, that's so nice. Get the honey, Junior. And, uh, yeah, somebody asked for honey the other day, and I did that, and they just
0: looked at me. What? Yeah, never mind. If they don't get it, then they're not worth doing it for. Yeah, but I laughed, and that's all that matters.
1: Uh, so they fight the, the blimp with, again, a lot of pointy things on a blimp. I mean, doesn't seem like a smart design. All it takes is one wrong, you know... That's me, the Mel Blanc of uh, Back to the Bins.
0: The best Foley artist. Man of a thousand voices. The the problem is they all sound the same.
1: The best Foley artist on this show. (laughs) So, uh, they basically get their butts kicked by a blimp. Even though the blimp does limp away to fight another day. There's some nice visuals in here. Nice explosions. But yeah, they basically all tuckered out and uh, the blimp kind of is like... I, I, they got a recharge because basically it took all they had to like beat this thing back, and uh, it's like, well, we're getting a little help from our friends. In comes Ringo and his all-star band.
2: Did so, you realize that this before? Because the credits are all on the last page. Did you yes. realize before you got to the last page that this was Barry Kitson? No, because I'm
1: not really familiar with Barry Kitson, so I mean, it oh, was really. Yeah, I mean I'd probably have, well, I I can look at Mike's real quick to see what he did, but I mean I enjoyed I I enjoyed the art all through it. So that wasn't uh, bad at all. What else has he done? Let me see. Very kids. Oh, he's done a lot of stuff. Legion, Action, Wolverine, Wild Cards, no, oh, he's been around since uh, '88.
2: He, he's one of those very underrated uh, artists, I feel, but I, I like his stuff. He, he has a very distinct style, but it's weird. Oh, uh, Empire
1: with uh, he was the penciler. I, that was the one of yes. the sh-
2: short-lived uh, Mark Wade book. Yep.
1: Okay, that's where I've seen him before. I think
2: I have a number one of that somewhere. Yeah, I do too. I think
1: I got a number two. No, that's not a oh, joke.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Although.
1: We need to wrap this up because, uh, well, you, you know what I'm saying. Because number two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Oh, yeah, he was up until March 2018, it says, was like his last thing here. Uh, so, we have any more
0: uh, thoughts on the book before we uh, give it some grades? Overall, i got to say, I enjoyed this. But my feeling is it was fun to go... But I could see, again, you know, we didn't read past this issue, so I don't know where we're going to go exactly. So I I could see this going up or down from here. I'm hoping it'll go up. Uh, It's, I would say, and we'll do actual grades in a minute, but I would put it at a little better than Middle of the Road. I, I enjoyed reading it, but I'm just, I don't really have a strong feeling for where it's going, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, I, yeah. I was. I was just going to say. I wonder if these are. I was. I, I just had a stupid thought. I was like, I wonder if these are kind of like you know individual stories, but clearly it's not because it has to be continued to to discover what's going on here. But yeah, I had much the same feeling. I mean, for me, I was running on pure nostalgia with with this particular issue. That's why I was so forgiving of continuity things and and stuff like that. Um, it was just, this is like having old friends that you haven't seen in quite a while drop over, you know, so I, I, I enjoyed it on that level. I think the art's really good. Um, yeah, I wasn't able to get my head around the story cause there's honestly, there's not much of a story so far. This was a lot of setup for something. Um, but we don't really know what exactly is going on here so far. So I'm curious to see where it goes. Um. Full disclosure, I'm not much of a fan of Kevin J. Anderson. Um, I've read a good bit of his stuff, and I I find him to be a, a, a really wonky uh, writer. So I, I'm curious where this is going to go. But when I, you know, when I threw that uh that panel up from this book, you know, in that group I was telling you guys about. Ooh, they they just tore him apart. They did not have nice things to say, and some people that remembered this series uh, didn't have very nice things to say about it either. So I, I hope it, you know, I hope it gets, I hope it at least maintains the level it's at for this particular issue, because I you know I, I kind of dug it for what it was. Like I say, there's not much to it, but you know I dug it so far. So I, I hope it doesn't jump the shark or or something like that. But so far it's it's interesting. I wouldn't say good necessarily, uh, other than the art. I thought the art was really good. But, uh, you know,
0: story-wise, I wouldn't say it's good, but eh, it's not bad. I mean, it's just, it's, it's set up. Yeah, exactly. That was That's my take on it. It feels like set up. Uh, you know, they're giving you some confrontation and all, but it, it doesn't, you know, we still don't really... We haven't seen much, at least, of the, who the big bad is in this thing. You know, we don't know exactly where we're going. So right. that remains to be seen, and that's really going to dictate, you know, where what our ultimate thoughts on this series are, you know, when we rate Absolutely. the series as a, as a whole. But that's part of the idea, I think, of what we said about just staying with one issue at a time. So we're not rating the series now. We're rating this issue, and, and I think that's – it, it, in some ways, it's a plus and a minus. It's a, it's a plus because that's the idea of our show. We rate the issue on its own merit. But on, mm-hmm. on the minus, it's like, I you know, I just feel like, you know, are we laying the groundwork for something great or are we just kind of treading water? I'm not sure. It's the joy of discovery. Yeah. And, and so, it is, it is a, 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 you know, a positive thing in the grand scheme of things. I still, I would rather do it this way. Right.
1: So, for my grading on this, uh, the cover, I'm going to give it an A. Uh, I like the interior art. I, I've got no qualms. I don't see anything wonky, or at least on my... And as far as I'm concerned, I don't see anything any, any really wonky. Um, I'll give it a... Uh, I'll give it an A. And the story, I mean, it's... It's, it's the opening act. It's... Um, the interlude? The prologue? The prologue. I going to say epilogue. That's the wrong log. Speaking of logs, now nah, we won't speak of log. But, uh... <laughs> let's just say I'm not pensive anymore. It's a family anyway, show, Bill. Well, I didn't say anything. I inferred. Anyway. Um, yeah. I'll give the book overall. I'm going to... Oh, the story. I'll give it like a B since we're not sure where it's going. But, uh... I mean, we kind of really picked it apart on some things, but I think we're just being a little, maybe a little too nitpicky. But that we have time to do this on when we only cover one issue like this. So, but it, yeah, it does have a nice little background with some actual, actual people, a little bit of living history in it. So, so I, I'm still going to give this overall an A for me. I'm okay. Minus.
0: I think the cover is outstanding. Uh, I think it does a great job of creating that pulp cover look that they're trying to go for. Uh, I think it shows us that Alex Ross isn't the only one who can paint a, you know, uh, a comic to look this way uh, because it is similar in style, but, you know, just the same. I I really enjoy his work and I really enjoy this as well. But I think sometimes people place him on a pedestal like as if he's the only person who can do this. Right. Uh, You know, there are others clearly. Uh, I you know, I think it's an A. I have no question, you know I, I don't mean that to denigrate Alex Ross. I think his work is terrific, but so is this. Uh, the interior art, I think it's nice and clean. Uh, I think it almost suffers from being a little too bright in my opinion. I, I think the colors should be just a little bit more slightly more muddy just because I think it would create more of a, a, a period piece feel about it. Right, uh, which is something I, I like. Like the, the picture, the the pic- picture of the dirigible, I think that kind of creates the color palette that I'm looking for. Um, oh, wait right. a well, minute, f- what did you call me? <laughs> um, but I like the art. It's not, you know, I, I don't want to make it sound like I I think it's bad. I just I feel like. If it had been just a little bit less bright, it just would it would have brought it up even a level. I'm going to say a B on the art. I think it's very good, but it could be better. Uh, and the story, as a prologue, I think it's a B story. Uh, you know where it goes from here remains to be seen. But I think on this issue, I would give it a B. Uh, so overall, I'm going to give this book a B plus
2: alright um, cover on this I really like the cover and uh, I like what you said you know, regarding uh, regarding Alex Ross you know there's there's a lot of similarities between these two but there's a lot of what this guy's doing that I actually prefer to be honest with you because this doesn't look like one of those posed, uh, Alex Ross thing. Like, this looks like a moment of action. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I know exactly what there, you mean. There's, there's a certain uh, there's a certain fluidity to it because you're you're catching a, a snapshot of of you know of action as opposed to you know let me stand here and pose for you know for this painting type of thing that that I often feel like uh, Alex Ross's uh, work is, but. Uh, of the two, I gotta got to be honest, I, I think I prefer this guy. Um, he, he's done some really amazing covers. There's a really good, I don't know if it's a JSA cover or a Hawkman cover, but there's a really good one of uh, the JSA is gathered around, I think they're at like the dining table or something, or maybe it's their meeting table, I forget. And Jay Garrick is looking up and just has this shocked express, expression on his face as... Uh, Hawkman is in the doorway, and we're just seeing Hawkman from the back, but he's just beat all up, and one of his wings is practically missing, and everything, and he's holding this big mace, and it's just, just a great image. And I know uh, the
0: one you're talking about; it is yeah. awesome. If if you remember when this episode posts, we should put a shot of that in the, uh, in the Facebook page.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway yeah I, I really I really like this cover so I think on the cover I think I'll go a solid gonna uh, go a solid a on the cover I really do enjoy it I think it's uh, it, you know for like you guys say for what it's supposed to be which is you know reminiscent of old pulp magazines I, I think it's perfect for what it's supposed to be and uh, yeah it, it, it Catches my attention and it makes me interested because I like both of these characters a lot, Green Lantern and, uh, and Starman. Um, interior art is it's kind of hit and miss for me because I agree with you on the, the color thing. Um, I mean, these are lighter characters; they're not supposed to be, you know, dark, grim, and gritty characters or whatever. Um, but it's weird because it's it's very almost like fluorescent. It's uh, very yeah, it's, bright. It's very very bright, punctuated by, by very deep blacks, uh, particularly in the uh, you know the battle with the monster at the beginning. So it, it's weird. It's it's kind of off putting a little bit.
0: Um, I think this I, was a '90s thing, even yeah, though this is 2004. Uh, yeah, I, I, it feels like a '90s color job. You know, when when they started getting into the computerized yeah. coloring. Yeah, it really does. And I don't know that
2: I'm real crazy about that. Who is the inker on this? I don't know that I'm real crazy about the inks. Because I I feel like... uh, Gary Erskine? Yeah, I'm not familiar with that that particular artist. But I I feel like maybe he's burying uh, Kitson's art style a little bit. Because like I say, it wasn't until I got to the end of the story that I really realized that it was Kitson. And Kitson has a very distinct art style that usually i can pick right out um it's not bad it's just i don't know there's there's something a little off with it and i agree with you it could feel much more like the period that it's supposed to be and and it's a shame that it doesn't feel more like it because i feel like there's a lot of attempts in the pencils to to place it firmly in the period that it's supposed to be with the clothing styles and the cars and the technology and, and that sort of thing, yet between the inks and the colors, it feels very modern, and it and it shouldn't feel modern, if you know what I mean. It should feel much more period piece, but... Um, so anyway, on, on the art... Um, I think I'm gonna go a, a, a B on the art because it's it's certainly not bad. I you know there are uh, elements of it that I really really enjoy, but I've definitely seen much much better from um, from uh, Barry Kitson. So I'm, I'm gonna blame some of the some of what I'm, I'm not seeing on the inks and on the colors. And then story wise, eh, that's the toughest one of all because it's not really a story. It's a lot of setup. So story-wise, I I think I'll go, I think I'll go a C plus because it's kind of middle of the road, but it's good. I mean, I'm enjoying it, um, but I don't. There wasn't enough of it for me to really get a firm handle on. So I, I want to be fair, and I'll just kind of go middle of the road, but on the good side of middle of the road. So C plus. So Overall, for this book, I would say like a. Well, I guess a B is a good grade on this. It's a good, solid comic. I, I enjoyed it quite a lot, and I, I'm looking forward to where this goes.
0: All right. So I guess that's it. We'll be back to take a look at the second issue at some point, <laughs> hopefully soon. Yep.
2: Before we uh, duck out, on the very end of the book here. Pardon me. It says, uh... It's got, you know, the teaser for next month's issue and everything, but then it has this thing called The Hot List this week. Second book down is one called Manhunter. Are you guys familiar with this book? Are we talking...
1: We're not talking the Walt Simonson. We're talking... No,
2: no. This is the Kate Spencer series. Spencer. That sounds no, familiar. I might have to take a look at that on the show sometime, because, uh... I the original really,
1: Manhunter with Walt Simonson he was a oh,
2: what was he he wasn't he was a s- clone he was a clone a clone of what Paul Paul Kirk he was a clone of the original Manhunter from the 40s
1: Right but he wasn't really a superhero he was more like, like a, a uh, like a ninja Right like sam- I, I was going to say like a samurai or ronin
0: Yeah I ronin. I remember
1: his outfit Yeah but then yeah. he then they introduced, or well, there's also the Manhunters from the Green Lantern time frame too.
2: Yeah, yep, yeah. yeah. She, so far as I'm aware, she has no connection with uh, with Paul Kirk or with um, the the Manhunters, you know, from the Guardians or what. She, but she does have a very solid connection with um, the JSA and the All Stars.
0: So, really,
2: yeah hmm. So yeah that might be that might be something worth looking into sometime. Yeah. I've never I started reading the series when it was coming out and never did finish it, but I need to because I, I I was enjoying it and I don't remember why I slacked off on it maybe I was missing issues or something but yeah. I need to get back into that at some point because I ended up finding out something about her that was kind of fascinating to me so now I want to read you know the rest of the series. Basically, who who you find out her it's either her parents or her grandparents are. Um, they had ties to uh, to the All Stars, which I thought was cool. But that's all I got. All right. Well,
1: we'll be back. Uh, everyone, have a good uh, day, week, night, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. And we'll see you next time. Wait, oh, I'm stealing Andy <laughs> Play
0: Lynch stuff. We'll see you later. Soon. <laughs> bye bye. Or what? What was the line they said on the Art couple well, As as Mozart said to uh, Bach. Oh, excuse me. As Mozart said to Beethoven, "I'll be Bach." Yeah. <laughs> Something stupid and, like that. All right. And, uh, Goodbye, guys. And, be- and Beethoven said, "Huh." Oh. Anyway. <laughs>
2: you don't fool me, you stupid minor bird. I'm not deaf yet. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at two 2truefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of De Manso Corps of Milan, Italy, all rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. My upper groin hurts. You know. About where the
1: appendix would be, but I know it's not that.
0: Guess what's going at the end of this episode. (laughs) My upper groin hurts. Yep.